B1 Journalist of the Year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my way. She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by the NFL Free Agency Federal Witness Protection Program. Yes, if you're an NFL star who's at the end of his contract and tired of constant attention in a major city, let us relocate you to a small market team where no one will ever hear of you again. Just think of enjoying the rest of your playing days in a small, secluded, exclusive stadium in some place like Jacksonville or Tennessee or Buffalo. No longer distracted by all of those roaring fans. Forget the stress of playing on Monday Night Football or in the playoffs. If you're looking for privacy and discretion, the Free Agency Federal Witness Protection Program can ensure that no one will ever watch you play again. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White, and welcome to the springtime edition of the Jim and Mickey Show. Mickey, have you recovered from CPAC? I have, I think, almost fully recovered. I would say I'm probably like 75 to 80% recovered. Um, For those of you who do not know, I lost my voice entirely, so I was basically told to be quiet for three days, so you can imagine how that went. A a fate worse than death for Mickey White. Yes, that was after CPAC. Needless to say, I lost my voice at CPAC doing all of the talking. Um, It was a good time for those of you who caught us live. Um, We were on AltCon Radio, and uh, and and we're hoping to get that that up on our SoundCloud as well. But it was, you know, last year was a big year for us. Obviously, Jim won Conservative Journalist of the Year, and uh, it was my first trip there, so super exciting. Um, This year was my second trip there, Um, and you know it's. It was a mixed bag in a lot of different ways, but I had a really good time for the most part. Um, If you're a right-leaning person, I think it's definitely a place where you can go and have a good time. But, um, but Jim, you're always kind of like the rock star there, right? And one of the first things I want to tell our listeners about is a woman that Jim and I ran into last year at CPAC. As we were registering, getting our media credentials, etc., she was the first person we ran into last year she ran up to Jim of course embraced him Jim Jim Garrity can I possibly get a picture with you I've been reading you forever and of course Jim very humbly why yes of course I will absolutely (laughs) yeah that's exactly the tone of voice I had and then my voice went down several octaves yeah and then this year we are checking out getting our passes getting lost in the hotel as you know we do and run right into her again. The exact same woman. I take the exact same picture. She says the exact same thing. She's so excited to see Jim Dirty. And oh my God, she remembers us from last year. And I'm like, weird, I remember you too. And it was the beginning of what I know to be the week of Jim Garrity. You know, it's almost as if I pay her to show up in the same place every year. And to I'm act starting like to wonder. I swear to God. She's like the uh, toll, toll tag. She has a credit card number on account, and every time she meets you, she charges it 50 bucks. There you go. There you go. I have to swipe something. Um, 
No, it was a good uh, CPAC, as we kind of discussed in the program. We expected to be a little more contentious and angry, and, and everybody seemed to be in a really good mood. Now, maybe that just reflects open bars. Um, maybe that I, just reflects, you know, free, free, free food, free booze. Everybody, uh, feeling that maybe it's a group of conservatives who live in places like Maryland or New York, uh, or, or places where they don't have a lot of conservatives around them. So they finally get to go to this convention center and suddenly be surrounded by like-minded people. And it made them feel good. Um, no, but everybody seemed to be in good spirits. Now you said you'd observed a slightly different crowd, uh, at CPAC this year compared to last year. Yes, and I would like to take full credit for that as well, um, considering that, you know, Red Pickle and I did our pop-up color segment last year and, and really encouraged people to, you know, come out of their shell, so to speak. And this year, I saw lots of people with, you guys are going to love this, pink hair and tattoos. Oh, no sundresses? No sundresses? <laughs> And some sundresses, but still a little <laughs> okay. chilly. Friday's snow interfered with these sundress <laughs> plans, I suspect. Yes, although I still kind of wore one anyway. Um, but yeah, there, there, and for those of you who don't know, I no longer have my pink hair, um, which is part of another uh, something I want to talk about here later in this segment. But I saw a lot of young people. I saw a lot of smart people. But I did see a lot of people with... Um, Pink hair, blue hair, green hair. Uh, one of our friends, Pope Sparkles, has what they're now calling the unicorn hair or the rainbow. Um, and there were a lot of visible tattoos. Um, say, do you know the one hair we did not see at, uh, at CPAC, Mickey? What's that? Trump hair. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one instance of that out there extant in the United States of America, and it did not go to CPAC. Looking for a picture of me <laughs> and him. This is me and a cutout from National Review and him. All I will tell you is if you're looking for a picture um, of me and this particular cutout, you can find it on Facebook and under my Twitter feed. And, you know, one of the great things about CPAC, as I said, is it's the week of, of you know, being around people you haven't seen in a while. And so I actually created a little quiz for Jim. So, Dave, you're going to kind of help me along, and, and when he gets it right, you can make the correct sound. I'll do my best. I am the I, producer. In, my in job. the style of Family Feud. Okay. It's not, not, all, not all answers have to be in the form of a question. No, no. This okay. is in the style of Family Feud. So the top five answers are on the board. All right. All right. And I want to ask and play a game with Jim with – what was the number one question people ask Mickey at CPAC? Okay, so actually all answers do have to be in the form of a question after all. Well, technically, yes. Yes, they have to be in the form of a question. As to what was the, right. yes. But what, what was the number one question asked to me at CPAC? Top five answers are on the board. Jim Garrity, go. Okay, the first one, it's almost a gimme. So, right, so I'm some variation of, can I see your tattoos? <laughs> Do that I get a guess? That was number three. Oh, interesting. All right. I would have figured that would be up to number one. All right. Yeah. No, it was number three, and they were fascinated when my answer was, you can see some of them. Ah. Uh, all right. Uh, all right. Got one. Some, let's see. Some variation of, why isn't your hair pink anymore? Bing, 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 mm. bing, bing. That would have been question number two. That would have been my guess. Yes, where what happened to your pink hair? I loved your pink hair, especially people who had dyed their hair pink. Can I try one? Uh, 
They, yes. Go ahead, Dave. Okay, yeah. here we go. Some variation of how can you stand working with Jim Garrity? Or <laughs> what's it like if you want to be more I, I peaceful about it? Where's Jim would be the other one? Okay. <laughs> well, well, if we combine the two of those, yeah. we will get the number one answer on the board, Ooh. which is where's Jim? Where's Jim? <laughs> Regardless of where I was or what I was doing, it was... Oh, hey, uh, where's Jim? Your Siamese twin is not joined at your hip. Yeah, exactly. Where's Jim? And I'm like, what you do is then say, if I, you have any inquiries for me for speaking engagements, book deals, or other, please handle my, see my secretary, Mickey White. Exactly. Like, I swear to God. Like, I don't know. I wasn't babysitting him right this second. But where's Jim was the number one question on the board. Um, you guys are still missing two really good ones. Mm. Four and five. Um, how about some variation of which party are you going to tonight? Oh, uh, we'll allow it. We okay. will allow it. We will allow it. That was actually number five. Number five. Where are you going? What are you doing? Okay. Are you? Oh, is it some variation? Are you going to Mitt Romney's raging kegger tonight? Yes, yeah, something uh, along those lines. Okay. Because and we know more. we'll find Jim there. <laughs> yes, exactly. Say, Where can we find to, Jim? This is the the only reason they asked question number five was to get to question number one, which is, where's Jim? Okay. Some variation of, are you going to Mitt Romney's raging non-alcoholic kegger? Ice cold O'Doul, non-alcohol, and hey, only 70 calories. Only 70 calories, Salt Lake City's finest. I need the little, like the X signs that come up. Wah, wah, wah. wah no, you guys wah. get one more guess. For number five, Dave, do you think you can steal it from Jim? Uh, you know, I'm uninspired. I'm sorry. I'm sitting here looking at my technical electronic stuff. So, Jim, take it away. Hog the glory, son. Um, isn't this CPAC either better than last year, or isn't this CPAC not as good as last year? Kind of the conservative hipsters saying, I was wrong. Oh, so Dave is the clear winner. The number four answer on the board was, when do you sleep? Do you ever sleep? The answer is yes. Ooh. When we have an appointment to record this program, Mickey is often sound asleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's only true. Some listeners say, wait, why are they joking about Mickey being asleep when they're supposed to record? They, <laughs> it sounds like they record around mid-morning or even midday. How yes, could she be sleeping so, at that hour? You're so mean. You're so mean, but I love you so, but so mean. And yeah, and I thought that was awesome that, that was, those were the questions that we're asking, of course, like you said, the number one being, of course, where is Jim? And I don't mind answering because for the most part, it was like right over there. Um, but it was, a, it was a great time. We met a lot of really, really good people. Uh, had a great opportunity to get on some other podcasts, which was super fun. Um, and uh, for, the, for the conservatives that are listening to the segment, uh, we would be remiss if we did not take one moment to recognize... Um, kind of the mother of the Reagan revolution, the passing of Nancy Reagan this week. And uh, Jim, just a few words before we go to break. Sure. Um, ironically, I, I got to see Nancy Reagan once in my life. Uh, ironically, it was right when, uh, when Ronald Reagan passed away. Um, they, they held his body in state and then they were, uh, they had a, a the kind of the, the funeral procession went through Washington, D.C. Ultimately, he was buried out in California. But the procession went through Washington, and I figured out I was living in downtown, near downtown D.C. at that time, and I realized it was going only a few blocks from my house. So I was supposed, this was 2004. It was the, I just started doing the carry spot for National Review Online, and mm-hmm. I was supposed to do some radio interview, and I just bailed on it, which I almost never do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like, you know, I could always like either, they, either the host can vamp for a few minutes 
Um, or I could do the interview and not get my chance to see the Reagan motorcade going by. So I went, got over there, and it was one of those you squeeze. You know, there's a big crowd, people lining the streets, and you get through. And all of a sudden, you know, the the the, the hearse comes by. Then the car right immediately behind it, like through the window, I could see Nancy Reagan just like, you know, clear as day. It was kind of amazing. Like, you're like, oh, my goodness, there, there she is. Um, look, you know, I, I, the, the easiest way to summarize the passing of Nancy Reagan is if you grew up in the 80s like we did, Mickey, you had no idea how good you had it. Right. <laughs> you know, all presidents and first ladies were like that. They just kind of set the standard. And um, no, you know, not necessarily to be offensive to, to any president or first lady that's followed, but, you know. Um, you just kind of got used to something, and uh, you don't miss it until it's gone. And I think a lot of people miss the Reagans. Um, and you know, the 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 comfort is is that uh, they're together now. And you know, and and one um, thing I would definitely recommend to any of our listeners of any um, political ilk is get a hold of the copies of Letters from Ronnie. Mm. Um, the love letters between the two of them are absolutely timeless. And they also show a connection that goes beyond anything, I think. Talk about relationship goals. Let's just call it that. (laughs) They're the ultimate relationship goal. And coming up next, we have a very special guest that's going to uh, help us talk about some of the relationship goals that people are looking for online. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. You're listening to The Jim and Mickey Show, and we'll be right back. Tastes like a beer, cause it should, cause it's brewed like a beer, of course it's good. Working out or working late, when you're thirsting for a break, let's be perfectly clear. It's what beer drinkers drink, when they're not drinking beer. O'Doul's. O'Doul's, the brew from Anheuser-Busch, with the alcohol naturally removed for real beer taste, and only 70 calories. And it's time and well, it's what beer drinkers drink, when they're not drinking beer. O'Doul's. We now return to our regularly scheduled program. Now, back to the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am your host, Mickey White, along with Jim Garrity, and we are joined by a very special guest this week, Mary Catherine Ham. Now, you may know her from all over the perspective of Town Hall, and now she's with the Federalist, but what we've asked her to do here at T-Jams is something that Jim and I are, quite frankly, we're, we're just not qualified for. We've asked her to step in and become, for us, our Bachelor correspondent. Thanks for being here, Mary Catherine. Well, you know, it's important to, especially this close to International Women's Day, show my daughters (laughs) this truly empowering skill of mine, which is to comment on this disgusting reality show. Thank you very much. (laughs) Mary Catherine Hamm. My good friend and star of CNN. I, 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 the opening question to you, which I, I, I've been trying to understand. I watched the, one episode a couple of weeks ago, and I think I, I put my finger on the appeal of the program. Is the lesson of The Bachelor that beautiful people are crazy and miserable? Uh, there may be some schadenfreude built in here, yes. Um, I think one of the appeals, as far as I can tell, and it really is appealing. Like I was... I joked in my piece, but I was actually not joking. This is this is true. That my brother walked through the living room one time and was like determined not to watch The Bachelor, but got hung up on the staircase watching The Bachelor. <laughs> and I turned my head and was like, what's going on there? <laughs> because it will suck you in. And one of the things I think, one of the reasons for that is, one, I think there, yes, there's some schadenfreude about a bunch of really beautiful people going out of their minds uh, and having to compete over, over mates. <laughs> and then two, I think 
there is a recognition by the audience of how ridiculous this process is and how silly the idea is that you're finding love or that this is a this is really a journey where you're discovering yourself but the contestants don't seem to understand the ridiculousness so that dramatic irony adds some tension and some fun and makes you feel good about yourself because you've got this whole game figured out <laughs> uh, but i think those are the two those are the two things that that make it work it's i have not I'm always watched. amazed how much I, how much i enjoy it <laughs> I, I, I have not watched in years. Um, I think the last time I watched was actually The Bachelorette mm-hmm. with Krista Sutter. Yeah, rare success. Krista and Ryan are still married. Um, well, so, that's a long time ago. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. That's how old I am. Um, so years and years ago. Um, however, it, it like to me, the part that always gets me, and of course, you know, I, I read your piece and like there's updates everywhere about The Bachelor. Oh, how do these women go in there with, you know, 25 other women and within four days are in tears about how much they love this person? Right. Well, I think there is there's a little bit of drama involved just because it's a self-selecting group of people who go on The Bachelor. Right. And then there's some added drama because if you cause drama, then you get more FaceTime uh, on camera. Um, And then I also think there's this element of. I don't know what if you want to call it. Uh, it's some mix between summer camp and Stockholm, where these people, <laughs> these people are cloistered. They don't have any entertainment. They don't have access to the outside world, or their families, or friends, or anything to so add. It's, it, it's Survivor in that sense of like they just start turning on each other. Yeah. Well, I think they just. This is your whole world for that. You know, whatever many weeks that you're there, it's only six weeks if you make it to the end. Um, so usually for most people, it's two, three weeks. But this is your entire world, and it's all you know heightened emotion. And the producers are are you know wrenching emotions out of you. Uh, I had a friend who actually, or acquaintance who actually was one of the bachelorettes uh, in the Chris Souls season, mm-hmm. and she told tales of how they, you know, tell they have interviews they do with you about other things and then they bring back in sad stuff to make you cry if they <laughs> they feel like the situation is not organic. So they can have B-roll of women crying and that's the key yes. to making a good show? Yes. <laughs> yes. I, yes. I, I actually, interestingly enough, have a friend who was also on an episode or a season. Uh, this was the season that was shot overseas. Right. Um, and her name was, she, I'm not even going to say her name, but let's just say that she didn't make it past the first night and that wasn't all that surprising. <laughs> no, but and think- what they showed on TV made her feel like she needed to move out the city. So that was really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, it is a, you know, there's a risk and a reward here. Like many of these women, I think, do want to be on tv i mean it's it's no it's no accident that olivia the the show villain the designated show villain this season was a beautiful tv anchor from local tv anchor from texas who gave up her local tv anchoring job to come on national tv on abc for a couple of weeks like there's something going on there i'm you know, I don't want to say it wasn't all about Ben and that she wasn't there for the right reasons, but she might not have been there for the right reasons. Um, so, <laughs> one of the key parts of this that you brought up in your story is that after Ben, who is this year's bachelor, dumps all of these women, he then has to get back on stage in front of all of them again. Yes. And he has and- to answer their questions. It's like it's the most awkward 
post breakup coffee of all time. <laughs> time. <laughs> Uh, it's it's ludicrous. But the thing the thing that's most ludicrous about it is the idea that you have to have some closure with this man who you dated not even exclusively for two and a half weeks. <laughs> you dated as part of a harem. Yeah, like you you went on you went on if you're lucky you went on one and a quarter dates with this guy because they go on group dates and one on one dates, right? So say you're an average bachelorette who lasts halfway through the process. You maybe got one one-on-one, probably not, and probably a one-of-four group date and, like, a pretty cool hot air balloon ride or something out of it. But <laughs> this is not something that you need grand emotional closure on. And so as we come to the, the finale, because has he actually selected it yet or, or is that next week? So that's the finale is next week. This week is the, you know, stall you till the finale, um, build tension, women tell all episode. And then, who are our final three? Uh, the ben final, and two the women, final right? Three, the, yeah, so it's Ben and then there's the two women are JoJo. Who is, I'm not sure exactly where from, somewhere on the eastern seaboard. Uh, and what is her stereotype? Jojo is a is really really pretty brunette. Uh, her family is very Italian. Um, gotcha. Her brother was on another dating reality show. People so, know. Okay. And she has the she has the little bit crazier family with the protective brothers causing drama. Perhaps maybe because they want to be on more reality TV shows. But anyway. <laughs> And like, then, here's my big Italian crazy family. Right. And then Lauren B is from Portland and her family is about as normal and sweet as you could possibly get. She's blonde. She's a flight attendant. And from the beginning, she has been my front runner because she just seemed very sweet. And the bachelor this season, unlike some other bachelors in the past, even though he's a little bit of a player when it comes down to the fantasy suite situation, comes across as a very sort of white bread, kind, uh, you know, grew up in a Christian house, nice, solid parents who are still together kind of guy. Uh, Not so just I like Lauren a slick and, guy. Lauren now, I, I understand there were some complaints, though, because he said the L word. Oh, yes. He told two women he loved them within, like, 48 hours. So. <laughs> Trying to love two women is like a ball and chain. On television, and everything he's saying and doing is being recorded. <laughs> yes, yes. That seems to be the part they miss, is that, you know, this is all being recorded. All of their little dates, all of their little time in the fantasy suite. And yeah. and how much of it, um, I, I know you watched the tape, you know, the ladies tell all last night. How much of it do you think, because they always seem to get very angry and hostile at some point, is embarrassment at their own behavior? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly some of that baked in. And there's also, again, it's the heightening of these relationships that do not matter. Like, you lived in a house with some chicks for a couple weeks. And because of the environment and because of the way the, the show is set up and the producers drive things, they end up making so much of these tiny little slights. in the fa- Like, who cares if this woman was not nice to you in a house for a week and a half. You guys were competing for the same man with 20 other women. They're not obligated to be nice to you. In fact, it doesn't make sense for them to be super nice to you. 
Uh, right, because you're the competition. Yeah, and you guys were never friends, so why do you have to have closure about that? That's the thing that kills me. They have these they have these conversations constantly about friendships that were never friendships and relationships that were never relationships, and yet they uh-huh. have to have a, a giant come to Jesus about them. It's all, it's all <laughs> because simulated. Because they knew each other for three days in the house. It's like preseason football of relationships. <laughs> Actually, yes. The mo- they go through the motions, but none of it's real. Yeah, one of the one of the points I made in my piece is that the the bachelor takes a normal relationship where you would say talk about your favorite music or sports teams and your family. Uh, you would maybe have those normal conversations and interact- interactions for ninety seven percent of the time, and maybe three percent of the time you would have a define the relationship conversation, which is about the relationship. The bachelor is exactly opposite. So you have these <laughs> these people who don't know whether the other one has siblings or pets, having a discussion incessantly about the depths of their relationship. You guys picked a superb correspondent for this program. (laughs) He's fantastic. I told you, I told you I could pick him. And I knew that she was going to be the one who could explain it all that. I have so many thoughts. (laughs) Everybody knows her and loves her, but no one knew this aspect of America. As Olivia Olivia would say, deep intellectual things are my jam. (laughs) (laughs) These are actual quotes. These are real quotes. As you're going through this, Mary Catherine Ham, I'm I'm kind of contemplating, is, is maybe the whole show like a giant Aesop's fable? And the idea that, in theory, it sounds really wonderful to have like 20-some members of the opposite sex, all really look good-looking, uh, all reasonably accomplished, you know, p- pursuing us, interested in us, attracted to us, and just literally elbowing each other for the chance to be our, our main squeeze. Sounds great. And then we find a way to make it absolutely horrible because you have to break up with all of them. You have to watch <laughs> them all cry. And then, as you said, you get to have this, like, you know, after-action report. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this, this critical boardroom analysis of where things went wrong in, on national television. No, there is certainly an incredible downside to this. I mean, can you imagine just for a bachelor? And I'm always amazed. I don't know how much they coach them or if they pick guys who are, are naturally sort of decent communicators to begin with. But can you imagine the emotional maintenance you have to do on 28 women with like, no. Daddy issues and commitment issues and relationship oh, issues. My strength and is fading issues. as I think about yeah, it. Insecurity, alcohol, like there's anger. <laughs> the number of conversations this man has to have that make he probably has to go like off screen and talk to a therapist almost immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's a downside. I would I would say that if you're Unless you want to be famous, if you're as good-looking and eligible as the average bachelor is on The Bachelor, you're better just going to a bar. (laughs) (laughs) I would think that your odds have to be better. (laughs) Well, it's just just that the emotional maintenance to relationship ratio, relationship fun ratio, is probably better. I could never be The Bachelorette because of that. I mean, obviously, I'm married, et cetera. That, that's yeah, making me that'd ineligible. I'd be a little hitch there. Well, yeah. Whatever. The idea of being a woman that had to deal with 25 men all at one time. No, thank you. I've told you this before. This is why you don't see women with, like, multiple husbands. <laughs> don't want that. I'm hearing And a, the idea of doing it on national television sounds horrible. I'm hearing a song in my head, a classic polka song. If you want to make, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman your wife. <laughs> if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman your wife. So from my personal point of view, 
date an ugly girl to marry you. The best part of that, the best part of that song, which is like you know horribly un PC, of course. Let's stipulate and a macroaggression. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best part of the <laughs> newer version of that song is, um, "Hey man, is that your wife? Yeah, she sure is ugly. Yeah, but she sure can cook." <laughs> <laughs> Actually, in the song. That's great. Mary Catherine Ham, you have done the impossible. You have made me really want to look forward to watching the next episode of The Bachelor. Um, just to enjoy the train wreck. Just to enjoy just how, you know, the emotional wreckage and to hold close everything I have in my life. So um, thank you for joining us on this episode of The Jim and Mickey Show. Uh, we remain huge fans of everything you're doing at The Federalist and uh, CNN and everywhere else. And uh, we hope our paths cross again soon. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks, Mary. And we will be right back. I saw your wife the other day. Yeah, she's lovely. 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 The president has a big stick. I promise you. You jackwagon. You remember when America was a free country? Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And we turn our attention to a corner of the sports world where Aaron Andrews, a uh, successful ESPN broadcaster, has recently been awarded $55 million in a civil suit against a stalker and a local hotel management group. Um, she had sought $75 million in damages. The uh, jury found that the stalker, a gentleman named Barrett, was at 51% at fault in the case. And the hotel owner, uh, West End Hotel Partners and the management company Windsor Capital Group were also at fault and were on the hook for the remaining 49%. This is after the guy had apparently spied her through the people, seen footage of her naked and aired it on the internet and done, you know, really terrible things. Mickey, this stuck in my craw, but I want you to um, uh, give me your take before I begin uh, doing supremely politically incorrect things. No, I would like you to give me your take first, and then I will give you mine. All right. So I'm here's flipping the, thing. the table on you. Can, can we all stipulate that this uh, stalker Barrett needs to have his genitals chewed off by Rottweilers? Every day for the rest of right? it's, it's eternity. Like it's universal agreement, right? So there's, there's no defense for what the guy did. He deserves the whole, you know, uh, the whole wide world coming down on his head. And I, I really have no problem with him getting this. The hotel, um, very bad uh, management here. Uh, apparently, let him know that she, you know, confirmed that she was be staying at this hotel. Gave him the room next door. Um, you know, just just you know, extremely egregious behavior. I'm assuming that the decision was not made by you know the the Windsor Capital Group and West End Hotel Partners as a it at a board meeting. A of, I'm sorry. At a board meeting. <laughs> yeah, like it was a handful of incompetent employees. So I'm a little nagged at you know Marriott International and 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 all these other groups being held the, the franchise. So Marriott International was not actually held responsible, but um, this perception that the hotel company as a whole is held is is responsible. I, I don't doubt that they should be held. Um, that they probably owe some restitution for their employees' bad judgment. Mm-hmm. Fifty-five million seems like a lot, um, and, and I kind of want to know: Is there a way to say that you're deeply sympathetic to Aaron Andrews and deserves she deserves to be compensated for being put through this horrible experience? And to say I, I don't know how they came at that figure. I, I know she had asked for seventy-five million. I, I, you know, at that point, why not fifty-five billion? Like, is there any amount that that seems too much? And at what point can we say, all right, you know? 
Um, at some point, you're going to make a. Can uh, you feel the laser like eye beams that are hitting you right now? All right, walk oh. me through it then. Walk okay. me through. I, it. I was just curious if you could actually feel it coming through and like burning your skin. Um, because here's my deal as a woman who stays in a hotel, screw the fact that she's famous, screw everything else as a woman who stays in a hotel all the time. And as someone who has had a stalker, the idea of staying in a hotel and having someone violate your privacy to the point where not only they give the stalker the room next to you, they have access through a peephole to videotape you while you are at your most vulnerable. To be fair, Private he did modify the people. Editing it and making it appear as though you did it on purpose. And the worst part of this is, and I mean this, is that ESPN didn't believe her when she said it wasn't a publicity stunt. And they made her go on record and at a deposition saying just that, that it was not a publicity stunt. So her reputation within the industry obviously was called into question. She was obviously embarrassed. She had absolutely every right, in my opinion, to sue them for whatever she felt was appropriate. She's never going to see the $55 million, and she probably knew that when she asked for seventy-five. But she might get something out of Marriott. She's not going to get anything out of the stalker. I've read some calculation suggesting she might end up with less than $6 million, which is probably less than she makes in a year. And she put up with some serious embarrassment and and I'm talking about actual destruction of reputation. This was a violation of her as a woman. This was a violation of her as a person. This is one of those things that I felt like they needed to put a smack down on them um, in this civil case because it cannot be encouraged. Don't you think ESPN oh. needs to be the one to pay the price for their sexism? Because don't get me started on ESPN. I hate <laughs> no, you, you just argue that because of ESPN's wrongdoing, that this hotel manager, Windsor Capital Group, and these no, other no, it's not because of be- ESPN's wrongdoing. I'm saying these people put it out on the internet. They not are the, the stalker source. Put it out on the internet, not the hotel. Know? They are the source, though, of this entire situation. This situation does not happen without all of those players. And if we cannot hold someone at you know, we can't hold the bell clerk responsible, per se, for taking his bribe or whatever he Why did. Not? Why not? We can damn sure hold accountable the hotel that we put our trust in. As someone who stays in a hotel, I will certainly think twice. I will tell you something that I ran into just last week, first time ever, post Aaron Andrews. Someone had stuffed the peephole with tissue paper. Mm-hmm. That tells you everything you need to know. There are already repercussions of this because I know I personally already don't like the idea. You know, I'm the, you know, don't do not disturb me when I'm in my hotel. That's like my me time. And for someone to take that and violate that and then have it also impact my career. Yeah, no, screw you, hotel. Screw you, stalker. And the other part of this, of course, is that, you know, everyone is really downplaying the fact that the stalker himself. You know, obviously he's escalating, and I, I hope that something right, is being done. The stalker, mind, went to prison for twenty months. Right? It's not like this guy's is never off. enough, by the way. But whatever. Okay. You know, I, look, he, he was pled guilty to you a, put a stalker, stalker that gets that close to their target 
in prison for 20 months, all they do is spend that time thinking about what they're going to do when they get out. You need We need to take stalker laws more seriously, but that neither here nor there on that front. I think that there's... I, I think the the odd backlash to me, yes, I hate ESPN for what they put her through. I hate everyone who, you know, automatically assumed that this was some type of publicity stunt when in fact she's the victim. Like that's it. There's there's no other there's right. no other headline, there's no other narrative. She was the victim. She took them to civil court. The jury decided that this is how much she was awarded, whether that was based on, you know, whatever they came up with as the number. And right. that's how our system works. And I'm okay I, with I, that. Okay, you're, you're furious with ESPN and you're furious with people who are saying, ah, this is all just a publicity stunt. And as far as I know, West End Hotel Partners and Windsor Capital Group didn't do that. And yet they're on the hook for $28 million. Because they are responsible for not protecting the privacy of their guests. I used to be uh, when radio. I stay in a hotel. I surely do not expect that someone is going to be videotaping me in the shower. I used to be the uh, owner of a business. My name was on the license at a radio station in West Texas. We had over forty employees, and as you can imagine, the Saturday night midnight to six DJ is uh, probably not your first choice of sound thinking quiet, humble, responsible <laughs> citizenship. And I always worried that one of those people would do something that that we were going to be held responsible for. And I think this kind of decision makes small business, and I know that's a big business, but it makes all business, in particular small business, uh, even more of a, of a load to carry in terms of insurance premiums and protecting ourselves but, against uh, but employees. Again, I think this is something that if you take the job as a bellhop at one of these hotels, they know what is expected of them as far as how they should treat, you know, whether it be Aaron Andrews or Jim Garrity or just little old Mickey White or whoever walks in those doors. You should feel that you have privacy within your hotel room. And this, I mean, Aaron is famous. This happens to other women all the time. This is a really big movement to make hotels responsible for the things that take place within their walls when they oftentimes like to throw their hands in the air. I predict it's the end of peepholes and there'll be electronic cameras that can see out, but no one will be able to see in. That's the immediate future of hotel rooms. I, I, well, I we know see how that. the Do Not Disturb thing worked, right, Jim? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say, remember those little metal things that you could slide over the peephole? <laughs> that would solve all these problems. And and we can't you, do that. So we're going to have this out. fancy electronic system that will probably end up working completely backwards and people outside will be able to see inside my hotel room, but I won't be able to see who's who's outside my, <laughs> my hotel door. Um, no, again, I, I guess I kind of feel like um, these numbers of how much damage has been done to Aaron Andrews' career – seems a little arbitrary. And I can understand a juror's desire to be punitive. Like, we want to punish these hotel companies for not doing enough to ensure the safety of their guests. And I'm not saying she didn't deserve damages. I'm just wondering the difference between $4 million or $14 million or $44 million or $400 million. Like, I mean, like, she, she, you know, she went through a great, awful public humiliation. Why do we decide that $55 million was the right amount as opposed to much higher sum or much lower sum? It just feels we like didn't. spinning the, the jury did. Yeah, and I, I don't understand the logic of the jury. I don't understand, you know, and, and for, I guess there are some people who could argue that it's not enough. Unless, unless your goal is to put West End Hotel Partners and Windsor Capital Group out of business. 
I think the goal was to punish them in a way that the only way that she could, which was financially. I guess, you know, at some point, you know, there was like a whole bunch of people who had nothing to do with what happened are going to pay. And there's a part of me that's left scratching my head and whether that really represents justice. In the end, it's about insurance policies and payouts, and that'll raise the premiums on everybody. So a lot of people who had nothing to do with this indirectly are going to have to pay. Yeah, and again, well, remember, as I, a woman my, who stays in a hotel, my general I pro am policy actually totally okay with everybody being held accountable and something else being done if this is how they're running their standard hotels. Um, I don't want someone being able to check in right behind me, slip a cashier, you know, a hundred dollar bill, and move into the room next to me. I don't want that. How as certain are we that person, even with this, regardless of how famous she is, again? This is something that, to me, she is. She went after them in the only way that she could, which is financially, and they deserve to be punished. Yes, I get that we have frivolous lawsuits. Yes, I know that people go after ridiculous no, amounts and, of money. And I'm not saying it was a frivolous lawsuit. But this uh, is this insane a- to me, the backlash that this woman is taking when she was the ultimate victim in this. She did absolutely nothing wrong, and she is punishing those that deserve to be punished in the only way that is available to her through our legal system. The peephole is going the way of the dodo bird. So we have a circumstance in which we've seen a great deal of uh, bad behavior towards a a woman who is a victim of a callous society. She goes through an awful experience and she gets mocked. People say she did as a police. And we have every good reason to be angry at that. But we're angry at society. We're angry at the people who watch video 16 million times or angry at the people who said, ah, this is all just publicity. And instead, because we can't punish any of them, we're going after the hotel company. And that to me sounds, that to me sounds and feels like scapegoating. Um, and so that I have that, this nagging response and I really just befo- wish we could focus again on the most important solution, which is unleashing the Rottweilers on the stalker. But Vicky, uh, <laughs> I'll give you the last word. Well, obviously I completely disagree with you, but I look forward to hearing to what our listeners have to say on this topic. Um, and when we come back, we're going to talk about, um, it's actually International Women's Month or Week or something, as, as Mary Catherine mentioned. And we're going to talk about some of the abominations um, coming up that, uh, that women have everything to do with, unfortunately. I'm Mickey White, he's Jim Garrity, and we'll be right back. One thin September soon, a floating continent disappears in midnight sun. I could have used a little more cowbell. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Mickey White along with Jim Garrity, and we are just blowing through this show again. And we've had some fantastic guests on the show before, but none like Mary Catherine Ham, who was on with us earlier, really enjoyed that segment. And we've kind of had a theme going on about all the kind of, I guess, women-related stories this week. And uh, one of the the stories related to women is, I, I, is it making it itch, Jim, or just making you not sleep at night? <laughs> Well, look, this is the week that the long-awaited, long-dreaded trailer for the new Ghostbusters movie came out. This is the one that'll be featuring an all-female cast, a couple of Serenet Live alumni, and I don't think I'm overstating it to say that most people have treated it as the most horrifying bit of footage since the Zapruder film. Um, this is a, you know, it there, there was dread. People thought it was a bad idea. People thought Ghostbusters was a classic that was not to be messed with. Um, and I'm going to say that it was it was generally terrible, Mickey. Uh, have you had a chance to see it yet? 
Look, I would only say to you that it's in, not like the Zapruder film in the sense that I have no desire to watch it again. <laughs> like, right. whereas that one, you know, you go back, watch it a million times. One seems to be good enough for me. Um, maybe, maybe we don't need to reboot anything else with chicks in it. All right. So there was a backlash, and then there was a backlash to the backlash, saying, "Ah, oh, these are frustrated, impotent white males who are upset to see fem- you know female characters in a movie that previously had men." Let me just make to to dissuade people of of contending that I am merely a male chauvinist. I will point out there were two things in the trailer that appealed to me. That I think I think what you might to make sure it's, it's nuanced to see that I can I can find I can appreciate things that do strike me as funny or creative or original or just generally good. Mm-hmm. Um, Mickey, am I crazy for saying that Kate McKinnon, uh, currently a member of Sarah Live, a, a cast member best known for playing Hillary Clinton, she's playing basically like the the crazy um, the, the crazy one. She's she actually, actually very talented. Yeah. You know, I, I don't always care for her skits on Saturday Night Live, but she is someone who, um, as a character actress, and certainly someone who, as a comedian, can just become anyone. If you've ever seen her do Justin Bieber, it's fantastic. Yes, you know, there's a look to her, there's a tone to her. That this this is actually one character who comes across as interesting. The person who's probably been tinkering in the lab for so long that she's completely lost all capacity to interact with human beings um, and potentially funny. But the other three all struck me as playing their parts very broad. Um, no pun intended. Uh, very, yeah. they're, they're going big. Um, I, I, for example, I, Mickey, did you happen to see the uh, undercover boss Kylo Ren uh, sketch from Saturday Night Live? No, I did not. Okay. Please do tell. All right. So Leslie Jones, uh, the tall African American uh, woman who is in this Ghostbusters movie, and is a, basically playing the same character—a very loud, a very angry character, threatening to slap people. And I feel like I've, I, it's it's one. Um, some people might argue it's almost a cliche. Uh, st- style for this character, yeah, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other you know, one Christian of the things Wig. that people bitch about when they talk about black parts in Hollywood. Yeah, you know, like all right, so here's my here's, I guess maybe here's the the you could tell they looked at this, and two of the cast members are retur- are returning from Bridesmaids. Mickey, what was your take on that movie? Well, I thought it was like a really funny movie. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you, it was not as funny as The Bridesmaids. And they are entirely two different movies and entirely two different sets of audience intended, clearly. Um, but th- that Bridesmaids movie, I kind of look at it as the original Spawn of Satan movie because it mm. spun off a lot of these, you know, kind of Tina Fey and Melissa McCarthy can have as many movies as she wants um, as long as she stays away from all those other crazy people from Saturday Night Live. Uh, because I've seen her in Spy, I've seen her in other things that she's absolutely hysterical and just on point. She did a movie with um, Sandra Bullock that was absolutely hysterical. They but they played uh, you know cop partners. It was great. However, mm-hmm. when you get into like the Kristen Wiggs and the Tina Fey's and some of those others, like all of their movies are the same. And none of them are funny. Like, they just had that one best friends come out and completely tank. Or what was, no, not best friends, sisters come out and completely tank. And now that Whiskey Tango Foxtrot is not doing well either. 
And again, I look at Bridesmaids as the original kind of raunchy female comedy or one that got attention, I guess. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, unfortunately, did not spawn funny comedies. Yeah, it, it, just it feels like a lot of those dramedy things that mm-hmm. they do. Um, Melissa McCarthy, I, I'm not saying she's never made me laugh. I guess I have a heart. I feel like she's always playing the big, fat, clumsy, stumbling over things character. Um, have you seen Chris, Spy? I have not. And I heard that was kind of she tried to change it up a little bit. So uh, she definitely did. And one of the things I have to tell you is that I never watched her TV show, the, the sitcom, mm-hmm. but I remember her from Gilmore Girls. Well, me too. Yeah, she was. She will always be sucky to me. So I don't know why they didn't just make Ghostbusters with Gloria Steinem, Patricia Ireland, and Wanda Sykes. I mean, go all the way. Why go not all the make way. them with a bunch of young kids that are in college? It's like, it's and, like the joke that like, they're appearing as the ghosts or something. But uh. like, you know what I mean? Like, if, if you really want to do reboot Ghostbusters, why not take a completely original concept and say, like, okay. Back in the day, there was this Ghostbusters group. They were around. You have some kids in college. Suddenly, like, they're being haunted again. They look up, you know, what the old Ghostbusters do and kind of go with it. And it's young and it's fun and it's a little more Avengers and a little less Bridesmaids, as you put it. Or real retro. Do a prequel with the, with the Ghostbusters as kids in school. Yeah, like something like that. I don't Anything. But this this, to me, just feels like a very weak and lazy attempt by a very weak and lazy Hollywood as per usual. They should have just yeah. promoted Feminist Ghostbusters starting Friday, <laughs> theaters near you. If they were well, honest I, in the title, it might be more appealing. And there's <laughs> one last thing that we just saw this opening trailer that just, you know, just stuck in my craw, didn't sit well. So one of the, the twists, you know, your plot, you know, your, your, your trailer introduces your characters. Here's the concept. And at one point they say, these goats can assume human form. Um, now then they pro- probably show us what looks like a standard issue possession, which is not the same as ghosts, but whatever. And like the, the when someone, oh, that person's not who they seem. Oh, it's it's you know it's an imposter. You know this is all like a paranoid thriller trope, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit in the wacky like you know who can you trust? Who's really who they say they are? It doesn't fit in a wacky supernatural comedy. No, no, it sounds like, horrible. It's, it's like I said, the, what I saw of it did not make me wish to see like another second of it. And, you know, that, that's, that's going pretty far. But I, it's also true. I, I have no desire to see it whatsoever. I think they could have done a million different things with it. And they chose not to for, you know, whatever reason that may be. But there was another trailer, and I know we're running out of time in the segment. We might have to take it over into the next segment. Um, there was another trailer that came out this week that has everyone's little hearts all abuzz, even in the North Kingdom. I'm Mickey White, along with Jim Garrity. Uh, we'll be right back. See, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns, and those who dig. Taking Mr. Herman. Mr. Herman, you have a telephone call at the front desk. (laughs) Hey, here's a great place to visit if you must do some driving. Your independent Texaco retailer. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And it is finally here. The Game of Thrones Season 6 trailer. And Mickey, as our resident Game of Thrones fan, I have to say I'm kind of, um, eh, <laughs> which is not the response they're going for. But I, I, have, I, have, a, I have a shameful confession to make, that okay. somewhere around the third or fourth topless beheading, 
somewhere around the time the stabbing the pregnant woman and the blood spurting all over and the skin being flayed off someone somewhere around the ninth or tenth castration on camera um, it stopped being a fun show <laughs> it's, Weird. it stopped being a show to enjoy and Come on. started up the show who doesn't to love that stuff <laughs> you're such a pussy I mean really <laughs> I mean, is it billed as a comedy? <laughs> the the feel good series of the summer. <laughs> no, it just um, it, it's just become really intense to take, and you know, like you know, there's there, there's there's like four or five rapes a week, and it just has gotten really, you know, like may, maybe it's a reflection of like just how depressed real life has gotten. But I just don't know if like it does. Come this way, the blood. Thirsty backstabbing and brutality and relentless nastiness and and vindictiveness does pale in comparison to the Republican presidential primary. <laughs> um, but even then, I think I just might be in the mood for some lighter fare. So I'm having a hard time getting getting psyched for the new season. Well, understandably, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of Game of Thrones, but as I did mention, there was a you know. Some other talk of the Queen of the North, and so you went with Game of Thrones in here. I was thinking of Kim Kardashian West. <laughs> ah, <laughs> totally different. See, not the Queen of the West, the North oh, and the West. Well, she is the Queen of Northwest as well. Um, but just this week, um, she posed, and I know you guys are going to be shocked, naked, and they took a picture of it, and it was, you know, what one would be called a tastefully done photo. Um, and one, the first one she sent out was basically her kind of covering herself up and taking a picture in the bathroom selfie. Now for a woman who just gave birth, she looks fantastic. And so there's part of me that finds myself once again, and I know our listeners love this, defending Kim Kardashian. But the good news is this time I'm defending her against Bette Midler and other actresses who also I don't like and neither do you. So it's a little different in the sense that suddenly everyone's after Kim Kardashian. Kardashian, as I've said to you, she makes a lot of money. She works very, very hard. She owns a lot of businesses. But she's still a woman. She's still a person. I know that's hard for people to get their arms around. And one of the most trendy things going on right now is women who have just given birth taking selfies of themselves like post-birth and being like, I accept myself for who I am. And that's totally cool. But when she does it, Bette Midler says the only way that, you know, we could see something of Kim we haven't seen is if she put the camera down her throat. Really? Really, Bette Midler? Well, haven't we seen almost all of Kim Kardashian that there is to see? Then stop looking. <laughs> well said. Right. Well said. Bette Midler is a member of the age of feminism that turns out to have brought us the new Ghostbusters movie. She's a Gloria Steinem, Patricia Ireland contemporary, and she still has it in mind. <laughs> How silly can you get that women shouldn't be sex objects? <laughs> yeah, right. I- I, I, I don't know if you could actually describe uh, uh, you could actually describe Bette Midler as asexual. I, I don't think that's actually a uh, there, there are a lot of criticisms that can be thrown her. Let, let me give you another just you know recent sampling of, of the wit and wisdom of Kim Kardashian Mickey um, that I think kind of is, is you know perhaps this maybe exacerbates the tensions of the moment around her. Um, she said something like this is a, a tweet on Twitter I believe it was yesterday. Sorry I'm late to the party guys. 
I was busy cashing my $80 million video game check and transferring $53 million into our joint account. Yes. Smiley face, smiley face, smiley face, money bag, money bag, money bag. Correct, um, yes. That was Mickey, a direct I don't know response how you greet- to the attacks that they made on her during a show. And this is what I was telling you. It's like, this didn't just happen on Twitter. These were conversations that took place. And then, obviously, there were conversations on Twitter as well. It turned into a conversa- Twitter war. But in reality, one of the issues that Kim had coming up with it was, you know, again, the woman is worth a lot of money. Okay. And so she's talking to these people about, you know, there's, you know, they basically make it seem like she's somehow, you know, a nasty whore for posing naked when, let's face it, Bette Midler would pay somebody else to take a picture of her posting naked if anybody would care. But it's, I just find it very hypocritical that Demi Moore's on the cover has, was on the cover naked pregnant a bazillion years ago. And that was great. And every other day, some chick who, trust me, does not have the body of Kim Kardashian is putting her naked ass up on the internet. I'm okay with Kim doing it. It's part of her brand. But then again, I'm not, you know, someone who is a, you know, prickish prude. So maybe that's just me. Okay, well, as the prickish prude of of this program, um, let me just say that when I see Kim Kardashian <laughs> say, "Sorry, I'm late to the party, guys." If the prickish busy- prude shoe fits. <laughs> uh, when she says, "I'm busy cashing my eighty million dollar video game check," Mickey, yeah. I just started saying, "Okay, Bernie Sanders, I'm starting to see your point." Okay, yeah, I get she it. Made, I- that that video game, that app of hers, bam. And and again, that's just one of her many businesses. But, you know, it, it's one of those things that I have a feeling, and I could be wrong. Our listeners probably won't agree with me again. I, 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 maybe they'll agree with me on this. We can all be thrilled that it is spring, Jim. And spring is officially sundress weather, which is the best time of year. Is that not true? It's getting there. It, it's up there. Now, I will admit, uh, I don't know about you. Is there but I anything feel like- better as a man than seeing, you know, women just flouncing about in the spring in their sundresses? No. As the prickish prude, I say no. No. <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> It's a unanimous uh, no, vote. Look, it's, it's enjoyable. I, I just wish it didn't come with like the, uh, the you know, pollen in the air that you can actually scoop out with a spoon. You can uh, ruin anything. No, I you know look, I'm I'm already seeing the green. I'm crud. imagining the joys of spring and and young you know girls in sundresses and people happily marching along and flouncing and what do you say? Yeah, but there's pollen. <laughs> and this and this this listeners, this is why you come back every week for this, <laughs> so that you can get these fantastic observations from the two of us, and you can let me know which one you agree with, because you know I'm going to guess it's me, but on some of these things, but you know I have a feeling I'm going to lose you all on the uh, Kardashian thing. But uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, once again, I'm getting the rap, rap, rap. <laughs> I'm Dave from Wrap Behind the Board. So uh, I, I will do that. I am Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. Dave Perkins is behind our soundboard. You've been listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. You can catch us here every week at soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey Show. And please do hit us up on our Facebook page at facebook.com Jim and Mickey Show. Thanks so much. See you next week. Hey,